But first, a little disclaimer. We are prefacing a lot of the appeal of this podcast on the fact that we're prosecutors. However, we need you to understand we are not doing this podcast in our professional capacity as prosecutors. We're doing this as people after hours on our own time with our own equipment. Now, we know a lot about the law by virtue of what we do, uh, but we're also just interested in true crime. So our opinions and commentary in this podcast are not the opinions of our office or our employer. They are not our professional opinions, and nothing in this podcast should be construed as legal advice or anything other than three friends blowing off some steam together. So with that in mind, don't try this at home. You know what it is. This is Joe. And Cheryl. And I'm Ray. And this is No True Bill. On today's episode, we fitting to tell you about Brett Seacat and his daring crime that shocked the state of Kansas. Let's get it. One that maybe was not as complicated okay. as some others. Uh, still a lot of stuff out there on it, though. Um, it is the case involving the death of Vashti Seacat. V- Vashti. Vashti Seacat. Seacat. Yes. Where'd that occur? Kansas. Oh. Hmm. Yes. A sleepy old Kansas. I-, I have put my phone on. On silent on this silent time. On silent this time, because God I bless. Got, I should do it. Uh, rightfully scolded. Oh yeah. During our last recording <laughs> oh, yeah. session. I gave you for hard failing eyes. to do so. You did. I, I, you even but called it, me out on it. it so everybody knows at home when they hear the sound, it was me. Yeah. No hiding that. <sighs> was me. Mm. I'm ashamed. But yes. So. Yeah. Let's talk Tell about, about Salmon Rushdie. Actually, did you hear about Salmon Rushdie? He got stabbed or something? Yeah. I heard I heard about that. Yeah, on stage. I'm all right. Sorry. You're good. You're good. Uh, yeah, what what's dude's name? Actually, I'm assuming it's Seacat. Seacat. Actually, no. Okay. Uh her name is Vashti. Vashti. It comes from the name of a queen in the book of Esther. Okay. Oh, that's wow. a biblical name. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I, I normally try to catch you on that stuff. Old I was sleeping. Stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, her dad really just liked the name, and uh, they named her Vashti. Uh, she's the youngest of four children, and her siblings' names are Kathleen, Rich, and Taylor. <laughs> so right. she just, they just got, it out got of blessed with the name. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yes. So uh, she actually was married to her high school sweetheart, whose name is Brett Seacat. Okay. Uh, Brett was a wrestler in high school, and Vashti did stats. Is it terrible that when you say sea cat, I envision a tiger riding on a shark? It's exactly how it's spelled as well. Hey. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, But that's how they initially met in high school. Uh, Sparks flew immediately between the two of them. They were on and off again for a bit. Ultimately got married. uh, Got married on the beach in Belize and settled down Hmm. in Brett's hometown of Kingman, Kansas. What kind of... What kind of... When? When are we talking? When's uh, all, when they get married? Uh, you know, I ain't sure when they get married. Mm. Uh, I didn't see that anywhere. But I can tell you they started having children long about 2006. Okay. Um, Vashti worked as a human resources employee at Cox Communications. Heard of him. Brett was a deputy with the Sedgwick County Sheriff's Department. Okay. 
but he left that position to take a full-time job at the Kansas Law Enforcement Training Center. So he was teaching police. Okay. Uh, He taught accident and collision investigation, um, was also super into physical training and defense tactics. Okay. Um, Brett's dad had been a highway patrol officer, and he also had a brother named Bobby, who was a deputy and who had also worked at the training center. We got blue fam. So he is uh, from a law enforcement family. Uh, during the course of the marriage, as I mentioned, they have some children. Uh, Brendan was born in 2006, and then Bronson came along in 2008. Bronson Seacat. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a great that's a name, name, right? There. right? Yeah. Destined Again, for it's greatness. a quarterback name. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another Bronson. Yeah. yeah. Bronson or what was the other? Seacat. Brigham. Brigham. Yeah. Brigham, Brigham Anderson. Anderson. I remember your, your name quarterback. that time, buddy. Yeah, you did. Yeah, Brigham Anderson. <laughs> He'll appreciate that. He's listening. I'll tell you that <laughs> You much. feel it. You feel yeah. it. Um. The Sea Cat's relationship was described as sort of stormy. Um, oh, no. Vashti's family reported that they never saw any signs of physical abuse, but just always got that uncomfortable feeling around them, uh, like you were walking on eggshells. Mm. Um, and Brett's family, they didn't know about any issues in their marriage whatsoever. Um, so sort of... Jumping around in time a little bit, we're going to jump right to the wee hours of April the 30th, 2011. Okay. It is 3.51 in the a.m. And there is a 911 call from the Seacat residence. Brett Seacat reports that his house is on fire and that his wife is still inside. While on the phone with 911, he describes having just carried their children outside to to a car and he's going back in to try to get Vashti but he says with all the smoke and fire he can't make it through the upstairs hallway to get to the bedroom where she is Mm -hmm. so he comes back out the house when first first responders arrive they find Brett in the driveway area next to the home beside Vashti's car the two boys are in the back seat of the car Brett tells them uh, somewhat surprisingly that Vashti had set this fire just before shooting herself in the head while Brett is a trained law enforcement officer, uh, so he may be a little bit better under pressure than your average person, they note that the dude seems surprisingly calm. Uh, not necessarily in the words that he's using, because mm-hmm. uh, he is saying, you know, saying all these things, but he's not sweating. He's not really breathing hard, and he's just run up and downstairs carrying children in a fire. He's very fit. Uh, well, I mean, he is into physical training. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my wife just lit a fire in our home, blasted herself in the face, and now I'm going to go ra- back into the raging inferno to get this dead woman? To get her body, yes. Okay. Um, so responding to the scene was local police and firefighters, but considering Brett's ties to local law enforcement, they actually called in the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, uh, the KBI. KBI, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Detective Finetti is a uh, old boy who comes from the KBI leading the case. And they also get the ATF involved to assist in the local fire marshals with the arson investigation. F stands for uh, fire. Yes. Agent Monty. Actually, it's firearms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Agent Monty. <laughs> Agent Monty is the uh, agent from the ATF who is involved with the case. Actually, it's. Alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives, explosives, which is where the more fiery stuff comes in. Yeah. They're very liberal with that interpretation of explosives. They are. 
Uh, they're very valuable in arson investigations. Hundred percent, I concur. Yes. Um. So they just get a brief statement from Brett that night. Basically, he says he's sleeping downstairs on the sofa. Vashi and the children were asleep upstairs in the house in their respective rooms. His phone rings, and it is Vashti. According to Brett, she tells him that he needs to come and get the kids so that they don't get hurt. He's trying to figure out what the fuck she's talking about. Uh, he hears uh, some sounds upstairs, and then he hears this loud bang. Mm -hmm. He takes off and runs upstairs. He discovers that Vashti is dead in the master bedroom. He grabs the two kids, carries them out of the house, puts them in the backseat of Vashti's car, calls 911. Um, officers do take pictures of Brett that night. All he's wearing is a pair of pants. No shirt, no socks, no shoes. They collect the pants and they start their investigations from there. Did he mention anything about, I mean, in that description about the fire? Like he heard the boom and he goes upstairs and she's dead oh, and the room the is fire. on fire. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, the hallway and the bedroom. Okay. On fire. Hmm. Um, so in the meantime... Brett starts to call Vashti's family members to break the news to them as to what's happening. Uh, this is particularly interesting, uh, especially the way it comes up later on. Um, I found it to be very compelling. But when he calls her sister Kathleen's house, she's very close to her sister Kathleen. Kathleen actually answers the phone. Brett says, why don't you let me talk to your husband? She puts her husband on the phone and she hears Brett say to her husband, Vashti killed herself and set the house on fire. You mean the order? That's what's compelling you to do? Yeah. Because you make backwards. He flipped it. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, they thought it was strange the way he said it. Mm. I don't know. It's, I feel like I would say that like. <sighs> in the she, hierarchy of events. She done she killed, killed herself, herself and, and set the damn house yeah, on fire. And, and. But also. Uh, you, was there. Well, and it might not be relevant, but was there any explanation as to why he's like, hey, I know you're really close to your sister. I don't want to talk to you, though. Let me talk to dude. I he think thought he she would just be would take the news better coming from her husband, her husband than, than him. him. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't see anything weird about him asking, you know, why don't I talk to your husband first and you can break his news. Now. We're going to talk about the statistics of women shooting themselves because I feel like that's low. We we mentioned that we in did a prior in, episode in the Darley oh, episode. No, we mentioned we mentioned Darley maybe, but yeah, we it wasn't Darley. Yeah, was it? Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, talking about how she had the, the pretty, stab wounds to the shoulder dead. and uh -huh. yep. Mm -hmm. You right? But yeah, no, that. I I, I mean I'm, we're assuming right that the shot was to the head. Uh, yeah, I, I will I will I will get you there. Okay, okay. You there. all right, sorry. Um, mm -hmm. so just based on things that have been going on. Vashti's brother and sister automatically tell police that this is a homicide. No matter what, Rich actually calls the police and says, no matter what Brett is saying or what they're saying, Brett has killed their sister. Damn. From the jump. From the jump. Don't get it twisted. He called that day. Killer. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Uh, Good on them. Meanwhile, Brett's family is, of course, shocked hmm. at what has happened, but never would believe or suspect that Brett would kill Vashti. They didn't even think like, it was a surprise to them that Vashi would kill herself, too. Right. Um, they don't so, even know about the marital problems right. or nothing. Yeah. So, so there's, of course, the age-old problem. No one believes that their loved ones would actually kill themselves. And no one believes that their loved one could kill another person. Yeah, it's right. a twofer. Uh, so it's, it's a twofer. But what does the evidence say, hmm. gentlemen? 
Where's Wayne Ross when you need him? I'm mm-hmm. saying. I'm saying. So first off, this was a fire. So it takes hours of fighting this fire and cool down time for investigators to be able to enter the house and take a look at what they got left. Um, but the ATF and KBI dudes who were there are optimistic because, uh, you know, Brett said that all the action was in the master bedroom, sort of told them where it was, definitely was where most of the fire was happening from what they could see. But the windows in the master bedroom hadn't blown out. They were intact. So they're like, that might not be that bad. We might be able to get some stuff out of there. Sure. Um, So when they're able to enter the house, just like Brett Seacat indicated, they find Vashti's body in the master bedroom on the bed. Uh, This was weird. Her body's laying on the left side, knees slightly bent. That's the crib side. Elbows (laughs) bent. There are remnants of like blankets still on top of her. Looks like she just been sleeping. So she was all cuddled up and just pulled out a gat and blasted herself, supposedly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like it's on top of her. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. A Ruger Red Hot forty four cal- Red Hawk forty four caliber revolver. Oh, yeah. That's a whoa. Is located under her left hip, between her and the mattress, with the barrel of the gun facing downward toward her feet. So you woed. Why don't you tell folks about mm. that weapon? I'll tell you about that big heat. Uh, that's, 40, a, that's a dirty, hairy, yes. bad mamma jamma. 44 yeah. is a dirty, hairy, bad mamma jamma. 357 Magnum, get out of here. 44 mag is a monster round. That is a monster pistol round. I wouldn't, I'm not saying I'd be scared to shoot it, but like you got to prep yourself for yeah, that. That, it's that, gonna, that kickback, that recoil. Gonna yeah, you're going to, you're going to find yourself on a YouTube video looking real stupid. If you don't pay, you don't be careful shooting that pistol. <laughs> Bust your forehead open with, yes. the, with the, yes. the barrel of the gun. 100%. <laughs> Uh, is that, that heavy? Yes. And it's going to be a big, it's going to be a revolver. Uh, it's going to be metal. Uh, depending the, the Red Hawk, uh, they make them in different, uh, barrel lengths, but that's not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, that's not, that's not a weapon you would normally see. I mean, a female, like it's, it's, it's a, it's not a carry weapon. Big, you're not, heavy. you're not going to carry that thing around. Um, that's a monster pistol. And you said it was under her hip, like her body is on top of it. Correct. Okay. So wait, she's on her back. On her side. On her, her side. side. And so she's Crip fallen side. onto the gun, or well, I guess onto the gun. I'm trying to figure out how the gun gets underneath her body. Yeah, they do a lot of trying to figure that out. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. All right. Um, so yeah, that's... That's what they see. Uh, they also see, although that it is extremely melted, they can tell that it is a uh, red or what was a red plastic gas can is on the bed beside her body. Um, there appear to be multiple sources of fire in the master bedroom and upstairs hallway outside that bedroom um, where they believe accelerant was used. Of course, they got a gas can. So that's why part of the reason they're saying they got an accelerant issue. Um, also of interest elsewhere in the house, um, in the dining room area downstairs in the house, soaking wet uh, because everything is either wet or covered in soot and disgusting stuff. They find uh, printed out pages from what looks like a PowerPoint presentation mm. talking about arson related deaths, specifically <laughs> homicides and suicides and what investigators oh should God. look for. 
Uh, one had reasons on it that uh, people would commit suicide that included severe marital strife recently, emotionally, damage exp- emotionally damaging experiences, mm-hmm. financial difficulties, humiliations, etc. Um, also on the dining room table with that stuff, they find a sheet of paper with what looks like um, like finance plans on it. Okay. How are we going to make this work if she out to picture? Mm. <laughs> One, a manual in how to come up with a viable alibi for why your old lady might want to murk herself and then light the house on fire. <laughs> right next to it, financial plan, how are we going to keep afloat without her income? Mm-hmm. This dude is dumb. What's the life insurance like, though? Is that a thing on this one? Well, I mean, if, if she's shooting herself, you're not going to get any life insurance. That's not exactly true. There's a cool-off period on that. People can still get paid out on those. Do believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, as they're continuing to process the scene, they eventually work their way out uh, to the cartilage area of things. And uh, they process Vashi's car. In the front seat of her car, they find what appears to be Vashi's personal journal. Oh, uh, front driver's seat, BT Dubs. I, I, I wish I, I wish I could keep a journal. You know what happens? I write stuff down and then I read it two minutes later and I go, that's stupid. And I throw yeah. it away. <clears throat> so the last page that's written on in that journal is bookmarked, you know, by that little jump you mm-hmm. got on the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it appears to be a suicide note. Oh. Uh, it reads as follows. Brett, I can't do this. I can't fight this out. Take care of our boys. Be sweet to Brendan. Talk to Bronson. Hold them both and tell them mommy loves them every night. I'm taking care of the house. Brendan, you are so wonderful. Mommy is so proud of you. Be a good big brother. Bronson, stay strong and don't ever lose that smile. I love the two of you and will be watching over you from heaven. Mm. Not Um, her handwriting. So investigators... I mean, because that's compelling. That seems it's in the... It's in the car. I'm going to take care of the house. I assume that means what? Burn this bitch down and you can get the money for that or something? I don't know. So uh, investigators have reasons to believe at this point that she may have committed suicide. They have reasons to believe that things look a little bit sketchy. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're right away faced with was this a suicide or was this a murder? Either way, it's crazy because these kids were in the house when it was set on fire. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um. So they're determined to investigate it to the fullest to be sure that they get this right. Um, autopsy is performed. How, how old were these kids again? I'm sorry. Do you... Four and two. Damn. Because I was thinking, I mean, CACs. like you're going to CAC these kids? They, they said, oh, see, we heard a gunshot see, 20 minutes before the police got there. I don't see anything about questioning of the kids. Mm-hmm. I don't see the, the kids didn't testify that I saw. Um, there, There's some interesting stuff. That was supposedly said by the kids that come up at the sentencing hearing, though. Oh. I gave okay. I gave part of things away. Well, happens. Uh, but I digress. Mm-hmm. Autopsy is performed. Cause of death is a single gunshot wound to the right side of Vashi's head. The bullet traveled right to left, and it was angled slightly downward and slightly front to back. But the gun was under the left side of her body, correct? Yes. Right. So front to back, up to yeah. For those because we're not a visual podcast, we are all putting <laughs> finger guns to our heads at various to the right angles side right of now. our heads, and I'm trying to figure out how that gun gets under the left side of that woman's body. Uh, now, also could be some convulsions. You're, uh, you're also she's 
Yeah, that's it. You just did it. You just did it. I shot I shot myself. The gun flew over my head and then I fell onto the left side of my body but and on top of the gun. This hmm. So You're a, you're police and this is you're this sloppy. Damn. I, there is a There's also this was a really big heavy gun like you just talked about. Oh yeah. And for the angle of the gun to be slightly downwards. That's true. Yeah, I would think that's an awkward position up. to hold any gun in, let alone a heavy, heavy yeah, gun. Hand mm-hmm. cannon. Yeah, that's an accurate description. The hand cannon. <laughs> Got a what are they calling blunderbuss? Boys <laughs> 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 rolling up. Captain hooking it. <laughs> so of course the medical examiner is unable to tell how close the gun was to her head when it was fired, uh, because of the arson. Mm. Uh, so any stippling or anything like that, it was right. all burned away. Interesting. See, he ain't no dummy. That's uh, check mark or check one in the uh, smarts column. She also has bullet wounds to her uh, torso, side, and hip that are determined. <laughs> wait, that are determined to be rounds that were cooked off in the fire. Oh, okay. Actually, there's like a footage where a neighbor came out and is like, you know, recording the fire like mm-hmm. people do, and, and boom, you boom, can boom. hear shots oh, going okay. off in the okay. fire. Okay. Yeah. So those are just cooked off. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. I was you like, were completely alone. I, yeah. I was losing losing it over here in the corner. <laughs> um, a few other things were of note with the autopsy, one of which I'll discuss here. And a few I'm going to save for later because they're best to talk about as, the, as they become relevant. Uh, the big thing to note in the autopsy first is that there's also no soot in her airway. Or her lungs. Mm-hmm. Uh, no carbon, mono- carbon monoxide in her bloodstream. So Wait. she's clearly dead before the fire started. Well, I, right. I mean, I get, she could go over, set things, go over and to then a I guess different area, and immediately, like, shows I mean, on, can't back out now. Right. Once you shoot yourself, you're dead. Like, she would have died immediately from the gunshot wound to the head. One would think. Uh, but that that is an issue that they discuss, is that there is no soot in her her airway or lungs. And there are several spots that are set on fire. Um, But ultimately, because so much evidence related to her head wound is destroyed in the fire, the manner of death is listed as undetermined inconclusive. Um, And of course, the other big piece of evidence that they found at the house was the journal. And uh, gosh darn it, Ray, you were right. It just doesn't look right. Uh Uh-oh. So, um, just with the detective's eyes, they're like different letters look like they're slanted in different directions, um, a little bit. So they send that off to Topeka to their forensic lab where they have a handwriting expert examine the journal to try to determine the authenticity of that last entry. Mm-hmm. And of course there's lots of writing samples of Ashti's cause it's her journal. Sure. Right. Um, that shit is fascinating to me, by the way. Handwriting analysis and how that all works. It is interesting. I know it was such a big deal in like the John Bonet case and all that and all the different. I just I love it. Sorry. Continue. I, Ray has. He's passionate. Of, he's passionate about handwriting. I'm passionate it's about handwriting too. I, Ray has excellent handwriting. I'm he just does. Very swoopy for a dude. Yeah, for a dude. And uh, uh, a I'm often accused of you know writing like a woman. And I'm like you know whatever. It's legible. whatever. No, it, 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 it looks cool. It looks lovely nice. handwriting. Very Super swoopy. Cheryl swoops. Uh, <laughs> also, of course, they do on police work. So they're going to they gonna talk to people. Mm-hmm. They interview a ton of people to get insight into the couple's relationship. 
to see, and their backgrounds to see what might have happened here. That's when husband's family's like, ah, everything's fine. And wife's family's like, no, it's not. Well, they don't just talk to the families, though. They uh -oh. they talk to people that they work. Mm. They talk to friends. Mm. They talk to neighbors. Dude's stepping out. Gotta be. So they learned from Vashi's family that Vashi had actually just filed for divorce. And that she reported that Brett was not handling it well. Uh, they also tell Belize that they had been in marriage counseling for a while. Um, they say that Vashi had been very unhappy, unhappy in the marriage for quite some time. Um, and she had been pretty down and depressed last year. Once she got involved in the counseling, she really started giving more serious consideration to ending her relationship with Brett. Um, they say she wanted the marriage to work out for the sake of the boys. Brett was a good dad, but she just couldn't take being with someone who was trying to control her all of the time. Hmm. They described Brett as kind of wanting to isolate Vashti as a means to maintain control over her. That's what they do. Seeing her as more of a possession than a person or a partner. Uh, words used to describe him were standoffish, emotion emotionally abusive, arrogant, and narcissistic. Uh, just made statements indicating like he felt like he was better and smarter than everyone else. And he was clearly <clears throat> a superior dude. We're talking about me. I guess. Oh, oh, oh. More recently, uh, since Vashti had decided finally to end the marriage, she'd started working on herself more. She was getting healthier, started to go out with her family and friends more. Um, her family, friends and coworkers uniformly indicated she'd been happier recently than she had been in a very long time and seemed to be relieved after making the decision to finally separate from Brett. Yeah. Her sister says she had no doubt that she was sad that her marriage was ending because that's not easy. But overall, Vashti was looking forward uh, to moving on and focusing on the kids. She says she felt liberated and they had been actually planning a vacation to Hawaii together. Um, a few of her friends and family tell the police something especially shocking about uh, things that had happened recently. They say that Vashti told them Brett had woke her up in the middle of the night one night to tell her that he had just had a dream where he killed her, burned the house down, and made it look like a suicide. Some of them got all of that detail and some did not. Some mm -hmm. just got, he it woke me up and told dream. me he had a dream that he killed, killed me. me. Yeah. Um, I'm starting to worry about some of the things that he's saying. Um, well, she was feeling liberated. He can't have any of that. Right. So like her sister got all the details. Um, one of her friends who testified at, at trial ultimately mm -hmm. um, said that Vashti like came by her door and was just like, do you think Brett would burn the house down with me in it? And she was like, what? <laughs> and ultimately she said, not with the kids there. That, like that was her uh her i mean take on he, it he probably would yeah <laughs> but if the kids was at a sleepover i mean right. he ain't want to hurt them he'd I'm, kill you but he I'm, kill I'm now very much understanding why all these people came forward immediately after to say oh he did this yeah right. yeah that was the surprise not not only that he threatened to kill her but that very specifically very told specific her details. this yeah. exact thing it's like so if i were gonna do this babe this is my precise <laughs> this playbook. is how i'm gonna kill right. she's like what the it's fuck like and tells people this and then he just does that villain right that's really I mean, tell your plans before i poor poor form yeah. 
So um, when she told her sister about this, her sister told her that Brett was just trying to scare her and, and intimidate her in order to try to control her and keep her from leaving. So, I mean, they talked about it and ultimately, you know, they were like, is this going to stop you from leaving him? Um, they also talked to the marriage counselor. Ooh. Boy, oh boy, does this bitch have some things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she says that the year before Vashti had sought out counseling services, she wanted in part to better understand Brett, but she wanted them to work on their issues together. She describes meeting with uh, both Vashti and Brett as a couple and also meeting with them individually. While she described Vashti as being symptomatic of depression when counseling services began in 2010, her symptoms had dramatically improved by their last appointment in April of 2011. Vashti was telling her that she was feeling better than she had in years. She said her out, her, her outlook was hopeful. Uh, she'd been making healthy life changes, both in terms of activity and diet, planning to move closer to her sister and her place of employment. She said that Vashti spoke often of her sons and about how she loved them and loved being a mother. At one point in the sessions, apparently, uh, the issue of suicide came up somehow. And apparently the counselor asked her a direct question, about whether or not she was... Is you thinking about something right, like right. that? Considering Ideations, suicide, yeah, right. if Ideation, she would yeah. consider suicide. She and said, nah. Vashi said she would never commit mm -hmm. suicide at this point in her life because of how she's learned to embrace her faith and most importantly, because of the love she has for her sons. Mm -hmm. And her last individual counseling session, which was on April the 19th, this happened on April 30th, mm. Vashi told her about the dream that Brett had had. Oh, told the marriage counselor yes, about that too. That uh, Brett had awakened her one night, told her that he had a dream in which he killed her. She was worried about how Brett would react when he was actually served with the divorce papers. So they formulated a safety plan for Vashti and the children for when he was given service of process. Um, as for her work with Brett, Brett told the counselor that if Vashi divorced him, she would divorce the entire Seacat family, including the children, and he would make sure that she never saw them again, even if it meant taking them out of the country. Counselor gets real social working and tries to explain to him <laughs> how detrimental that would be to the children mm -hmm. um, and what would make a difficult enough time for them worse. Uh, he decided to go on this rant about how he's seen parents splitting kids between two households. And in his mind, that would be the worst thing for the kids. Mm. Uh, the therapist was unequivocal that she did not believe Vashti committed suicide. Um, now, some hot takes on some other evidence. Yeet. When showed a copy of the journal entry, her family said that they didn't believe she had written it. Uh, not only because they agreed the handwriting was a little funny, but it wasn't her voice. Right, it didn't right. sound like her. It, it didn't spoke sound in military like, time. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It, it didn't sound like yeah. words Ten she would have used or how she <clears throat> would have said things. <clears throat> um, also found out that she normally kept her journal by the table by the bed. She also normally had locked her car. Um, but again, if she's going to commit suicide and this is her plan, she's going to make sure that they can find her suicide note. Right. So, she's going to put it in a place that's not going to catch right. fire. It's not going to be on fire. Um, her family actually was also aware of the safety plan, but they didn't call it that. Of course, that's like a nuanced term mm -hmm. for, yeah. you know, social workers use. Yeah. Um, basically they said that Vashti and the kids had actually moved out of the house for a few days 
when Brett got served with the papers and had planned to stay out of the house until Brett left, which was supposed to be that Friday. But apparently on Thursday, the 28th, Brett had called Vashti and told her that he had nowhere to go. He hadn't even told his family that things were rocky, let alone that they were going that to divorce. That the ship was going down. Plus, it wasn't fair to him. He wasn't getting to see the kids. And basically, he talks her into coming back to the house that next day under the pretext of him being able to see the kids and agreeing to talk to her about their finances and how they're going to divvy up their bills. Um Vashi had told her sister that since Brett was having such a hard time with things, she felt it in her felt it was her best chance of getting through the divorce amicably to try to be understanding with him and to reason with him. So she was going to take the kids back to the house on Friday. Yeah, but you can't reason with crazy. Brett would sleep on the couch for a couple of days before moving out ultimately on Sunday. And Vashi had, according to her family, made plans to go out on Saturday and be away from the house with some of her friends. So she'd really only have to spend the one night in the house with him. It's all took. Um, in addition to interviewing people that Vashi knew, I mentioned they also interviewed folks who knew Brett as well as some of the neighbors. Mm -hmm. Yes. Let's do neighbors first. Uh, they find one neighbor who couldn't sleep that night. And she says she was watching television and she thought she heard a gunshot. Like it was a bang and she's like, was that a gunshot? Um, she couldn't tell investigators what time of the night it was, but she did know it was sometime before all the fire trucks and everything showed up. What she did remember about the shot or whatever she heard mm -hmm. was that it. she was watching a specific program and she remembers what scene was on when the shot rang out. So the investigators coordinated all of that. With the, with the, with the, the TV guy or right. whatever. <laughs> with, with the TV station and the scene. Uh, that The shot she heard, if it was the shot, happened at about 3.15 a.m. Mm. Remember that 911 call was at 3.51 a.m. So that's interesting. Did she clarify what it was she was watching? You know it was Law and Order. You're right. Three o'clock in the morning. I, I you know it. I don't know what she was watching. You know, I used to, when I lived in Huntington, I used to make it a, a routine when I would hear what I believed to be gunshots in the night. I would always look over at my clock and I would try to. I do I would, that too. You do that too. I, I do would go, that too. I would go. Okay, two forty-one. Remember two forty-one. Okay, and then go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, because like, they, they asked me, me and said, it was two forty-one. I heard that gap. <laughs> Sir, oh, uh, sir! Reason you remember that time? I brought it to a time. I look at the alarm clock. Yeah, it's true. Every, Every time, time I, I think that I hear a shot, I look at the clock and I try to remember. I'm so glad Just I'm in not case the only someone one. Asks yes, me. I want true. to be helpful. Yeah. Oh yeah, look at us trying to be that neighbor. What a three you know what <laughs> Okay, so uh, talking to people about Brett. Yeah. So, as I said earlier, Brett's family didn't know shit about shit. Mm -hmm. uh, all of this came as a shock to them, whether it be a suicide, murder, whatever. Mm -hmm. They didn't know anything out of the ordinary was happening. Uh, investigators roll up out there at the Kansas Law Enforcement Training Center where Brett worked. And that's when shit started to get real weird. Mm -hmm. Roll up to, to Kletzy. Yes. <laughs> so, they find out that on April 29th, this fire happens in the wee hours of April 30th. So, yes. this is day... Day leading into that night, mm -hmm. dude had gone to find an overhead projector. This was equipment that they did not actively use anymore, so he had to actually go dig one out of storage. After he got that overhead projector, he was in his office shut in for uh, at least an hour, 
Co-workers said it was weird for him to have shut his office door like that. Tell me he's like watching his wedding video and shit like well, that. Well, it's an overhead projector. Up. Oh, like a, like an Elmo? Like, yeah, like an Elmo. He's looking at that PowerPoint. <laughs> well, they also uh, indicated they'd noted on his desk were like the legal papers with regard to the divorce and some like letters and cards and stuff that look like they were from Vashti. Mm -hmm. Um, they also find out that on that same day, April 29th, he spoke to maintenance at the place to ask them what the best way was to get rid of some like old hard drives and things that had personal information stored on them. Uh, and then he torched two hard drives and three cell phones and threw them away in various dumpsters out at the facility. Torched as in literally set them on fire. Yes, that's how they told him to best dispose of hard drives is torch them. So dudes at his office, this burning law shit. enforcement training center, just, yeah, burning phones and other electronic Immediately devices. preceding the tragic events at his home. Yes. They're like, oh, there's there's old boy in the cafeteria mm -hmm. just, you know, conducting a seance. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to see here. Nothing <laughs> to see here, folks. So uh, they also gather evidence and i don't know what this evidence is by the way this just has was noted in the uh, appeal uh they also have evidence that he did purchase gas that day hmm. in a in a can or just gas period? he said it was just purchase gas okay i'm guessing there was no video and there's just but you got like a receipt, a receipt my man went to bp yeah. right right um he he indicates that the gas of course was for his truck he got yeah we got three gallons of it though. Yeah, right, yes. And ain't for that truck. <laughs> yeah, it's like, bro, that 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 bill came to uh dollar seventy-two. Yeah, this you is ain't 2011. up your truck, dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh so they also get copies of the 911 call. While Brett is sounding pretty frantic, he's describing having this is all on the 911 call. Like they played portions of it. Yeah. He's describing having just carried the boys downstairs out of this burning house. He's describing going back into the burning house. He wets a washcloth to put over his mouth, goes back up the stairs to try to get Vashti's body out. He's describing being overwhelmed by the thick smoke, pitch black, can't see anything, mm. heat, and something just tells him he's got to get out. So he runs back downstairs. Save yourself. Do you know what he ain't doing? Huffing and puffing. Coughing. Mm. Ain't coughing or nothing. Mm. He's in a house full of smoke. Hi, nine one one. I just removed my children from a terrible horrific now he fire. he sounds frantic. Hi. He's like, "Oh, um, the the house is on fire. I got the kids out." Oh, okay. Like that's that, how he's saying. But it's not like, "Oh, I, yeah. I got the kids out." He's not doing any of that. No, he's no. not doing okay. any of that. Yeah, well, because yeah, you did it, Brad. So they also get results back that there is gas identified on the pants that he was wearing that night. Oh. But again, he says he went upstairs. Okay, he ain't on fire. Well, no. Just this is just frustrating. So, handwriting analysis. Okay, yes, my people. Uh, comes back and says that there are incongruities mm. in the last journal page that lead them to conclude that it had been copied or traced. There are tremors of fraud and smearing present, which sharply contrasts with the fluid writing from the rest of the journal. Expert also pointed out features indicating where the writing had been done very slowly and where corrections had actually been made to certain letters. Mm. He also indicated certain letters had been created using a different stroke than they had been consistently made with throughout the rest of the journal. 
uh, particularly important, her lowercase d's. <laughs> That's the way you tell Joe. <laughs> you can tell from the d's. The strokes on the d's. Different d's strokes nuts. for different <laughs> folks. And no, uh, our first d's I'm, nuts in the, the podcast. Yeah, I, I understand. I you said that. that this dude is is a narcissist and everything, but like he got this discovery, and he took this case to the box. Yeah, I mean, what you can't plead to murder. What I, I mean, I you're guess, not going to do I it. Guess, what are they going to offer him? I mean, I don't know what. I, did, Does Kansas what, kill people? I don't know. You got the needle in Kansas? I I don't think. I don't know. I mean, you kill a mama. Um, but there, the state's expert indicates that the journal was a spurious mm. document, faked, forged. Even the vocabulary is dope. Spurious document. I like that. <clears throat> yeah. Put that, put that in the motion filing, everybody. So they also get some phone records, and they do find uh, the call from Vashti's phone to mm -hmm. Brett's phone, as Brett, as Brett had previously described. Yeah, where she's upstairs, he's downstairs, and he... That's what he says. Wakes, allegedly, yeah, he wakes up to the call. Uh, so after they get good and ready, and they, they, they compile all this evidence, guess what they do? <gasps> they want to talk to Brett. Oh, yeah. Well, it's nice of them so, to do that. So uh, they bring this dude in and... Uh, <laughs> Wait a second, they talk to the suspect? <laughs> yeah, how about that? <laughs> how about that? <laughs> Whoa, Ray, you sound like you're I'm getting, literally getting a body out, yeah. of a, out of a burning Well, that gully. is true, but <laughs> talking to the suspect, damn, that is a novel idea. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so the investigator is like... Uh, I didn't really even have to ask him a lot of questions. Dude just came in and talked. Oh, I, as you described him, I figured he was going to be a chatterbox. Uh, and of course, he has an explanation for everything, Jack. Of course he do. Innocent explanations. Mm -hmm. So uh, first, Brett is just sort of telling them the story of their relationship, indicating that things had been rocky at various times in the relationship. They talked about divorce a lot throughout the entirety of the marriage. Mm -hmm. He maintains, though, that he did not know Vashti truly wanted a divorce until he was served with the papers. So he presents them with his motive on his own. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what he says happened. <laughs> okay. Um, These are my confessions. He said that when he was served, it just broke his heart because he loves Vashti and he'd been fighting to keep them together. Mm -hmm. um, and they'd always talked about divorce, but never actually taken steps to well, divorce. It, when, it, when it gets she, real when you get served. When she served him, that's when she decides I got to exit this life. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Well, he says that he feels guilty and blames himself for the suicide because How he, he's like, I should have been able to see that it was a thing that was going to happen. Oh yeah. Um, Vashti wanted to make everyone in her life happy. So she put on this happy face for her friends and family, but he got to see the darker side of her at home as her husband. What, what is she the utility been struggling. of seeking a divorce? If you're going to kill yourself. There's no, oh, we're, we're going to get to what he says. Uh, he said that she had been struggling with depression for years and he alludes to prior attempts at suicide that she'd made. He discussed them having uh, an occasion where they were watching a TV show together recently, which depicted a character who was committing suicide. And Vashti asked him if the type of gun used by that character would be a good weapon of choice for that. And he told her, yeah, but that, Dirty hairy gun I got too. That would be a good one. <laughs> that's that's and the ticket. He says now that conversation haunts him because oh. it actually came to pass. Mm -hmm. He said um that he'd been sleeping on the sofa since Vashi had divorced uh, had had him serve with the divorce papers, that he before going to bed that night. 
They'd worked through some of their finances, but they'd also argued. And he told her that he was going to take the children away from her. And they were never going to see her again if they went through with the divorce. And he thinks that him saying those things to her is what just put her over the edge. That she was just despondent. And he feels responsible for her killing herself because of the mean things that he was saying to her. Mm. Um, he describes, again, being asleep. Vashti calling him and telling him to come up and get the kids. He says he heard noises of moving around upstairs. And then he hears that loud bang, which is when he rushed upstairs to see fire started and Vashti laying on the bed. Now, this is interesting. He says he went over to her and actually picked her up around her neck and shoulder. And she was just limp in his arms and her head just fell back. And that's when he processed what he had heard and what was happening. But she's still under the covers, though. He didn't say anything okay, about okay, that. Okay. He said <clears throat> that he then just dropped her and ran to get the boys out of the adjacent room, picked them up, carried them out of the house, placed them in the back of the car. Then he also describes trying to go back in to get Vashti's body out of the fire, um, but was unable to because of the smoke. Now, reminder, they took pictures of Brett. She shot her head with a forty-four. Right. There's got to be, a, I would and imagine, he says a huge that exit he wound. picked her up. Mm. No blood on him. No blood. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so he has no injuries, even though he says he ran back up into the hallway of this house that was on fire. Mm-hmm. He does have a small blister on the top of one of his feet. Yeah, probably a shoe. Mm. Like the shoe. Shoe blister. Shoe or, or, yeah, I, I, I don't, like shoe catching on fire. No, I'm, I'm sorry. He probably well, had one from, from no, work from the gym or something. I mean, and that, that's why you got a blister on your foot, bro. You ain't get one little solitary blister from running into other, a fire. Even if he doesn't. Well, uh, if he says he wasn't there when the guy, I mean. On the top that, of your little toe. bullet. Yeah, that had to. I mean, not I mean, to it's be too going graphic. To it had the to have, moon. That had to, to have taken her. Moon. From it going back to front, that had to have taken her face. Or was off. it front to back? I can't remember. Uh, it was. It was kind of slight downward back. Well, back either either way, I the, the I exit mean, wound has to be substantial. Yeah. Yeah. Too and he says, no, no blood on this dude. Right. And, and he, he says, says I'm he holding her in my yeah, arms. No blood. Describes picking her up so that her head falls back. No blood mm-hmm. on. Her. Mm-hmm. Um. So they ask him about the PowerPoint presentation on the dining room table. And he's like, that's just scrap paper. Uh, Oh, that's convenient scrap paper, ain't it? Yeah. He's paper that people print out and use, you know, and they just would put in like the recycle bin. He's like, I bring all that home to use as scrap paper just to make notes on and stuff. Yeah. Grocery Um, list. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He also accuses the KBI of moving more of those types of papers to the table of the area. Uh, Rather than the area where he kept them in the office to make him look more guilty. Oh, it's okay. A so the, po- the police is saying that the other police, right, mm-hmm. were okay. Uh, so they ask him about the overhead projector. Yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, and he says that he had been working on identifying forged social security cards. So he wanted to experiment with the ways that that's done. The suicide note. He got the overhead projector and was practicing like how people would forge a social security card. Practicing forgery. He admits he was practicing forgery. What was the word that the, uh, that the, the spurious spurious. And I, I mean, I assume at this point they're probably, are they speaking with him before the handwriting analysis has, I mean, he's not been charged at this point. No, he's not been charged. So then they've not tendered the, 
handwriting analysis, assuming they had it, that he doesn't know about that. Yeah, they haven't asked him about that. So, okay. Yeah, well. Uh, they asked him about shutting himself in his office mm-hmm. for that hour. People thought that was weird. Yeah. And he says, embarrassingly, he was crying in his office, and that's why he closed the door. Uh, he'd just been served with those divorce papers. He sat there with those, was reminiscing about his life with Flashy, how they'd gotten to this point, and he just needed some time to himself. Did did they follow up just out of curiosity? You said that this dude is effectively an accident reconstructionist and a like hand to hand combat sort of fitness dude at this Ninja. Kansas City yes. law enforcement training center. The hell does he care about how people forge social security cards for? I wondered about that. Mm. He ain't a white collar investigator. <clears throat> They're like forging also, their insurance paperwork. That's apparently also on the car accident. Also, don't do nothing with homicides or arsons and suicides. And he has that shit in his house too. So uh, yeah, the confluence of circumstances. Mm -hmm. So they ask him about torching the hard drives and he says that he was worried about identity theft and wanted to dispose of some of his old things, old electronics in the safest and most responsible manner. That is both safe and responsible. I'm I'm practicing how to commit identity theft by forging social security cards, Mm -hmm. but I'm so concerned about it that I'm going to get rid of any... Which is why he's concerned about it. People are out here doing that stuff. He's out here in these streets. He's got to put his overheads. Yes. He's got to put himself in the mind of the criminal. The criminal, that's right. This guy. Woosah. I swear to God. Um, so you think that was bad? Let me let me tell you about this. They asked Brett if he knows that Vashti keeps a journal. And he does know about the journal. Uh, not a secret journal. She usually kept it at her bedside. Uh, says about a month before her death, he took her journal to work and scanned and subsequently printed numerous pages of that journal. But at Boshi's request, because she wanted an electronic copy of her journal as a keepsake. I. So okay, I took okay. her journal and scanned made copies it. of it, so I would have something to trace an, an exemplar. One and think. then I'm using an overhead to with the door locked. My own admission with yes. the door locked to trace shit. I'm saying social security cards, but I just conceded I took old girl's diary, but I wasn't tracing the diary though. This dude, look, we're all three prosecutors here at this table. This is why you don't talk to the police. (laughs) You keep your mouth shut. This is it. I mean, trust me, I love defendants like this guy who open their mouth. But if you were ever accused and you want to save your own skin, shut the fuck up. (laughs) This dude thought I was going to come in here and sweet talk these fools. And all he is doing is digging dig, a deeper dig, and deeper hole. Dig. Mm. So they, they also ask him about her statements to others about his threats to kill her. And he denies that he ever made any such threats. He indicates that Vashti was probably just putting herself in an improved posture with people in case of a contested divorce proceeding. Oh, she yeah. wanted to to make oh, sure she got that Stacking kids. the deck. Yeah, planting those seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, he insists that he's still in love with Vashti to this day. He'd done everything he could to keep their family together and protect her and that he would never hurt her. Um, he's they the were white like, knight. They were like, but I mean, she was leaving you though. And he's like, that's not why you kill people. Uh, uh, yes it is accident con- reconstructionist yes it is and then he says uh, that it's not a reason to kill people but <clears throat> if he was gonna kill her he did come up with something better than this well 
He acknowledges his shortcomings, I guess. <laughs> he also says that he would not, quote, fuck up his kids like this. Um, basically, what he leaves himself with is, I was former law enforcement. I trained law enforcement. There is no way if I thought my, like, if I thought this shit was going to go down at all, mm -hmm. I would have done openly these seemingly incriminating things. Basically, the I, I could not possibly be this stupid right. defense. I know this looks bad, I know, but I am but not this stupid. You know I'm so smart and know this stuff so well. Right. I would, if I had done this, I'd have never done that dumb stuff. Right. Yeah. His, uh, his explanation is just yet another example of his narcissism. Like, yeah. I'm too smart I'm to too do smart it to do that way. dumb stuff. Yeah. My God. So, uh, like, like the three of us in this room, police mm. are unmoved by Brett's protests. And on May 13th, 2011, just two weeks after Vashti's death, they Didn't arrest him. And charge him with murder in the first degree, aggravated arson, and two counts of aggravated child endangerment. Um, the case ultimately goes to trial in May of 2013. And it goes in Kingman, Kansas, despite the media attention to the case. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be said that Brett did not want a change of venue. Probably because the Seacats are respected lawmen in the area. That's right. Whole, whole squad. they have a good family reputation there. Blue Bloods. Mm -hmm. Tom Selleck is the <clears throat> patriarch. Yeah. So there is a 12-day trial. 12 days. Yes. During which many of Vashti's friends, It takes a long time to put that much of incriminating evidence, evidence in front That's of a, a lot jury of in the state's case in chief. Yeah. yeah. It is a lot of folks. <laughs> uh, a lot of her friends, family members, and coworkers testify. Investigators and forensic experts testify. You know, fact witnesses to get in all the evidence we've just gone through and discussed. Uh, even the marriage counselor testifies. She's called to testify by both the prosecution and the defense. Interesting. Yes. Uh, another thing, this is the other thing, one of the other things about the autopsy. We'll get to the how the well, autopsy is relevant in a couple uh, more ways uh, later. Was there, was there any mention of why the defense might have thought this would have apparently was a clearly a good state's witness would add to their case. You know what I'm saying? Like Vashti was exhibiting symptoms of depression. I'm sure. I mean, she like she's going through a rough time. Yeah. yeah. But I would imagine that they would know that the, the summary of the, of the forthcoming experts testimony would entail that, Oh yeah, she might've exhibited depression in the past, but she was on the upswing. Oh, she had already time. testified to that. They right. called her again in their case in chief uh, after she'd already testified to all that uh, to emphasize that she was symptomatic, having depression, having a depressive episode. So the, the, in the state's case in chief, the, the, this expert debunks any defense that they might mount. And then they call her a, to try again. again to reiterate the deficits in their case. Like, well, I now mean, we're going to call her and she's going to change her story this time. highlight the part of her testimony. Why don't you just do that on cross? About the fact that she was having right. depression. Isn't it true that at time during your treatment of her, she exhibited symptoms of depression? Right. Yes. I'm Isn't sure it true did. that depression? Then why, why are you calling her again? That's right. why at 12 days, y'all wasting taxpayer well, dollars. You ask her on cross-examination, <laughs> you make the argument in close, but yeah. she's going to say uh, for a second time, yeah, she exhibited depression at one point, but yeah. right before she got dead, she was really optimistic and happy. Mm. That's not good lawyering. So uh, the other thing about the autopsy, um, 
that prosecutors bring up when they have the medical examiner on the stand and that they argue about in closing. Uh, Vashti's bladder is full, full, y'all. Mm. Like, no doubt this woman had to pee. Interesting. And Brett describes her, according to his testimony, being Shit. up. My bad, my bad, my bad, yeah. My bad, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, calm it down, Ray. Calm it down. Shit, pee what? He's oh. <laughs> just slapping microphones across the table. <laughs> so they're like, she would have had a serious urge to urinate. Mm. And he's describing her walking around upstairs, setting all these fires and then going in, laying down in bed and killing herself. I'd have peed before I set fires if I had to go that bad. Yeah. Um, bladder was might, full. You might as well just let how it go does the in bladder the bed. Not, how's the bladder not, I'm surprised release it wouldn't release, in, yeah. you know? Yeah, in when the, the head's Yeah. yeah. God damn it! Sorry. Wow. So how does uh, how does she though? I'm I'm not understanding. She's what? The theory is her bladder's full because she's sleeping, and then she's abruptly awoken by a dude, and he murks her, and that's like or she had to pee. Why didn't she pee? Yeah, well, that's that's what I mean. If she had to pee when she woke up, why wouldn't you go pee before you go around and set all these fires and kill yourself? Right. That's true because we're talking about the late hour. Yeah. Three. You wake up at three in the morning and you have to pee. You pee. I hate. Having to pee in the I wouldn't want to die having to pee. That is true. That would suck. No. Especially if I have control over it. Yeah. I'm always, you know, arguing with myself. Like, how do you get up? Oh, it's only going to get worse. It's three o'clock in the morning. Better go do it now. I'm an old man. (laughs) (laughs) So um, another interesting witness is um, daycare workers for the boys. Mm -hmm. So shortly after this happened, Brett called... Uh, the learning center where the boys had daycare and said, uh, y'all probably heard a little bit about what might've happened. I want to come in and tell y'all the story. So, you know, what really happened. Um, so he goes in and talks to them and he gathers up, uh, them and both the boys teachers. I know y'all gonna be hearing rumors. I want you to know what happened. Uh, he explains that um, while she had died and there was a fire and that she had killed herself. Seacat uh, detailed for the three daycare workers how he and his wife had been going to couples counseling, that he'd just been served with divorce papers, that he was supposed to be out of their house, but Vashti let him stay. He said he told Vashti that she wasn't going to take the boys away, and if she did, he'd make sure that she'd never see them again. Seacat also told them he'd been asleep on the couch downstairs when Vashti called. Um told him to come get the boys before something happens. Um, Seacat said he started going upstairs, heard a loud bang. So he went into Vashi's bedroom, told them to spare you. He said, I will spare you the gory details. There was blood everywhere and she was lying on the bed. But just not on me. Right. According to the worker, Seacat would, um, showed no emotions when talking about Vashti, never said her name, only referring her to her as she and her. While Seacat told them his wife was deeply depressed, uh, she thought that his statement did not match what she saw of Vashti the day before her death or ever. That was the quote, or ever. Or ever. Um, I mean, I will say Seacat this. Seacat also made it a point to mention yeah, that they wouldn't receive any <clears throat> life insurance or home insurance since she had committed suicide and set the house on fire. Just so you know, I ain't got no motive over here. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, I mean, with the depression stuff, though, I mean, it is kind of, in this case, it seems pretty clear but you know people can it's just so hard to what people show other people and that they can you know it can swing yeah well and we're going to talk more about um some of those things too um 
But during the trial, the defense does put on a case. They have a handwriting expert of their own who says that the handwriting for the last journal page uh, is consistent with the writing in the rest of the journal, although she concedes that it looks unnatural in places and that there are tremors in places, but that could be due to mood, tension, or general state of mind. Hired gun. Uh, yeah. They also, in addition to recalling the uh, marriage counselor, also recalled the medical examiner to testify that uh, you would not necessarily expect to find soot in her airways or lungs under these circumstances. Couldn't uh, ask that on cross breath? Just yeah, as Joe what? talked about earlier. Mm. Um, also called an expert to say that he would not have conclusively determined that it was gasoline on Brett Seacat's pants. Also points Could out... Could have been some, diesel. Also yeah, right. Some other out, accelerant. Also points out uh, some issues perhaps with chain okay. of that evidence. Um, and he also points out that the KBI failed to swab Brett Seacat for gunshot residue on the night of the fire. I mean, that's 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 a poor decision. Yeah, that's you an should, error. You should you should do that. Also, uh, real quick, you mentioned uh, chain. Uh, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, do this. Thing. Ray gonna do it? I mean, Ray. I'm present the case. Chain. Don't make you're, sure you're, right, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I'll give you give you a little break over there. Uh, Ray, chain of custody. What is it? Why is it important? Well, I mean, at least in West Virginia, I think everywhere has different rules, but they're probably pretty similar universally. But basically, yeah, if you're going to admit test results, anything at, at trial, you've got to demonstrate from the point that they were seized to the through the point that they were tested and introduced that there's, um, you know, a reasonable basis to believe that these things are what they purport to be and that they were maintained in a in a in a in a manner in a method that you can confirm they are they've been safeguarded adequately they've right. especially i mean an nothing's item, been contaminated yeah and in the, in the in the case of of physical items often a gun things of that nature yeah you might have questions of dna contamination but often you know the the that this is that particular object is not necessarily in dispute it's usually for more fungible items like like drugs mm -hmm. you know this actually this is, this the, is dope. the same crack yeah, yeah or whatever this is the same cashew <laughs> um, but yeah, you and you don't always have to have you don't necessarily have to have every single link in the chain just enough that the court can conclude that yeah, this is the same stuff and that, that the integrity is intact. So that's yeah, kind of chain of custody in a nutshell. So if you don't know, now you know chain of custody. There you go. Whew. So a uh, defense case no one at all in this room will be surprised by this. Mm. Brett Seacat also testified. Yeah. Sure. You did. knew it was coming. You knew it he's was. Gonna tell, he's going to sweet talk this jury. You're going to explain it to him. I yeah. bet it'll work. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he, he Always testifies do. to the history of their relationship, to always being Vashti's protector. Oh, I told you, he, White Knight. 100%. He talks about her depression. Uh, he indicates that he told Vashti he would absolutely agree to a collaborative divorce if they worked on their marriage for four to six months. Otherwise, he would quote destroy her he said that yes well he did via not Magnum. only does he testify that vashti killed herself and she did it because of her depression and his repeated threats to take the children but he adds to his testimony and says that vashti was having affairs with superiors at her place of employment and brett had also threatened to expose her if she went through with a divorce and that would have not only devastated her reputation but likely gotten her fired he took it there 
And because of all this, that's why Vashti killed herself. Uh, I would like to point out that immediately Vashti's friends and family are pissed. Yeah. Because well, they when his defense is, Ho couldn't a, help herself. Yeah. Because everything is a lie that he said about Vashti, literal insult to injury, and he's just trying to distract from his own guilt and misdeeds. Yeah, Dude. absolutely. So the jury goes to deliberate That's after a, this 12-day trial. Isn't it weird that criminals and politicians do the same thing? <laughs> right. Guess guess how long the jury deliberated. Ooh. 12-day trial. 12-day trial. It's a lot of evidence and a lot of witnesses being called multiple times for some reason. Uh, Did they break before or after lunch? I do not know. Honestly, if I'm on this jury, there for is guilt? zero hesitation in my mind you know 100 an hour i don't know how it works in real like with real juries obviously we've never been back there with any true, of them true but if i you know if i were four person you know you come back everybody take a gets poll, situated right? you take a poll to begin with if everybody's on the same page i mean yeah. is there anything y'all want to look at a little closer yeah and i would have been like y'all got anything any who raise your hand here if you think oh boy didn't do it yeah and when nothing goes up we're like all right we got it you know what I mean, like so in the in the Ray Joe jury, we're at like thirty seven seconds. Yeah, how how long were they not, at? They would not take almost long. six hours. Six hours. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty good for the defense, given this mountain of evidence against this dummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the deliberations, could you have imagined if they'd have done GSR on old boy? Wow, that's true. Observers say that Brett C. Cat was not worried at all. <laughs> that that's just. I mean, I do. You know, you, you you mentioned that again. Like that's just mind boggling to me. You're showing up to a scene of a shooting death yeah. with a homicide or with a with an arson, and the husband is right there, and you're like, well, what, GSR him. Here's the thing, though. I mean, he's no dummy. So he I mean, says, he probably would have wiped he says his he hands touched off. Her. And... That's probably why he says he touched her. Oh, that's so that true he too. Asks, of course, there's no blood. No on blood. Him. Yeah, that's that's not. Or a... he could, you know, scrub to hell and back. Because who knows when it all went down and how much time there was. Right. Because, I just, mean, if the neighbor did hear that gunshot, right. it's 45 minutes. He had to clean himself up, set yeah. the scene, set the fires. <clears throat> he could have sprayed himself get with things going. OxyClean. Could've well, and that would have, I mean, that that would have, that could have backfired on him, right? Like, right. Yeah. oh, no, no, no. I I touched her. There, all right. The state goes, well, there should have been GSR then, right? If you didn't have it on you, there presumably could have been a could have been should have been a transfer it's so flaky right but i mean and and it's not damning but just to be on the on-scene investigators and go nah not even gonna do it that it just seems negligent to me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. gunshot residue so Mm. during deliberations observers say that brett was not worried at all no he ain't sweating his baby seems like he felt like his testimony was all he needed to secure his acquittal no face no case get this though brett's family agreed there was a documentary I watched where they talked to his brother, Bobby, who was also former police. Bobby. And he's like, I didn't think the state had the evidence at all. And I'm like, bro. Are you, he what? does. He does traffic court. Bobby. <laughs> Bobby. 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 Put your own personal feelings aside here. I noticed your brother. Mm-hmm. But look at this objectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard to do. I mean, I'm, you know, it's hard to look at things objectively. Uh, Vashi's family's nervous. Um, they're nervous because oh, so. they, they feel like the case is well, good. Well, you never know what a jury would Sure, They feel like the case is good, but they know Brett's family's well known. Mm-hmm. They're worried about Brett's connections somehow. Um, they're nervous. Uh, jury comes back, like I said, uh, almost six hours. Guilty on all counts. Yeah. Uh, this was so cool. I actually watched the sentencing hearing. 
Hmm. Like and on the YouTubes? A, yes, on YouTube. Uh. Uh, it's on two parts. Um, his allocution and the sentencing is on one part. And the victim impact statements are actually on another part. Hmm. Uh, I watched all of that. Uh, it's fascinating. Um, a lot of Vashti's family gave victim impact statements. They were all so powerful. And mm-hmm. you could tell that they'd put a lot of work and thought into them. Um, I, I I need to read you the hottest takes. Oh, bet. Uh Vashti's brother-in-law, the the gentleman married to her sister Kathleen. Yes. Uh, he had the hottest takes. Um, first of all, he talked about uh, right after this happened and Brett got arrested, the kids uh, stayed with Kathleen and her husband for a while. He talks about how um, you know the only person who wanted her out of their lives was Brett. That. He talked about the after effects on the kids being scared of fire, uh, even candles burning freaked them out, um, that they were having behavior outbursts, especially the older boy, because he he understands more that they're in therapy and in therapy. They've talked a little bit about what happened. Uh, this is interesting. They also had two dogs, Corgis. Oh. I love Corgis. Yeah. That's um, not to love. So cute. So cute. Uh, but he specifically says Brendan told them when dad brought them down to the car, the dogs were already in the car. Hmm. Um, Interesting. So in addition to that, he makes the following statements. I just jotted some of these down word for word. Mm -hmm. Your parents love you enough to believe you. You should respect them enough to tell them the truth. Oh, sick burn. If you have a sliver of morality, you should muster the courage to do so. But I know you won't because you don't have any courage in you. Mm. At this point, you're guilty. It'd be nice if you'd find it in your heart to tell the truth. He talks about the dissension that's it's caused in both families. Sure. Um, talks about how telling the truth is not in him. Says it is the epitome of cowardice that you would shoot your wife and then play a hero for saving your kids from a fire you set. He ain't wrong. Um, said that you said it twice to me that Vashti killed herself and then set the house on fire. You told me the order in which you did it. Um, he tells them that, that uh, tells the court that Vashti had visited them and told us her concerns and the things that he was saying and doing. But Vashti knew she had to take that chance if she was going to be free. Mm. Uh, he talked about how um, Brett had bragged generally previously that he could get away with a murder if he wanted to. Oh, my God. Um, just lots of things. But her lots of her family members, um, her brother, her sister, um, her brother-in-law, her niece also spoke. Um, her father spoke and that of course it's time for Brett C. Katz allocution. Oh, you want to talk about an, what an allocution is? Are you looking at me? You throwing it at me? I mean, That's if fine. you want. Allocution. Uh, it's this way in West Virginia. I assume it's same in other places. A criminal defendant who has been convicted or pled to a crime, uh, at least, you know, big boy crimes, felony stuff. Um, has the right before sentencing to provide a statement directly to the court. Most of the time, defendants do not say a word in a courtroom ever unless they're testifying in trial 
or uh, in, in what we call an allocution. Otherwise, their lawyer speaks on their behalf, and um, it's certainly better that way. But at a sentencing hearing before the judge pronounces a sentence, uh, they give the defendant an opportunity to stand up and speak directly to the court. Um, and sometimes they do that, and sometimes they don't do that. It's They're not cross-examined or anything like that. It's a free shot where they get to tell the judge whatever they think the judge needs to hear prior to sentencing. So um, that's called the right of allocution. So if you don't know, now you know allocution. There we go. Mm. <clears throat> so he starts out by uh, going through notes that he could be seen making while the family members were giving was... their victim impact statement. Yeah. Yeah. So he's rebutting Where their... he is reading all of them for filth about things he knows about stuff that they have done in their lives to the point where the prosecutor has to object and say, judge, can he just address the court on what sentence the court should pronounce for him since mm. that is the purpose of an allocution? Mm. Um, Let me tell you about you. You ain't shit. And the court, <laughs> I know what you do. You Tina, out here doing all this dirt. Tina, I know you, what you're doing. Yeah, the prosecutor's so, like, are uh, you going to say something to the judge? <laughs> right. Judge, can, can we not do all of that? Can he just... Talk to you about what sentence you should impose, since mm. that's what the purpose of this whole thing is for. Uh, so the court agrees and uh, asks him just to speak to the sentence that he should receive. So Brett continues to do what narcissists do. He blames everyone else. Mm. Um, he, he indicates at one point, and I can't remember whether this was before or after the judge admonished him, uh, about his comments. He addresses Vashi's family and tries to say the only reason they're saying she was murdered and it wasn't suicide because they want some of that insurance money. But he also had mentioned that none of them are beneficiaries to any of her insurance. So it made little sense mm. to me. Um, but uh, he gets back on track and says that the prosecutor's jurors and even the judge himself are going to hell for what <laughs> oh my God! in this case. <laughs> He then uh, focuses his misplaced aggression solely on the judge, whose oh. name is Larry Solomon. Uh, basically tells Judge Solomon that the judge did everything in his power to make sure that Brett Seacat got convicted, knowing that he was an innocent man, mm. just so that the judge could have this moment to sentence him to life in prison in front of these cameras, get his name in these papers, because he wants to boost his chances of getting a seat on the Kansas Supreme Court. It was wild, y'all. Mm, bold. Man. Just said weird things. Well, what happens when you put it around the corner? You know what I'm saying? Just yeah. said weird things to the judge. It mm. was crazy. Um. So the judge has some comments for Mr. Seacat. <laughs> um, Claps back, perhaps? I don't know. He does not. Good I mean, he, he says him. that, you know, he's heard some things that he didn't expect to hear, certainly. Uh, but uh, it establishes a couple things to him first was that the jury got it right <laughs> um yeah second that uh he believes that uh brett seacat lives in some sort of bizarre alternate reality mm -hmm. and that uh, it struck him that during this opportunity he had to speak to the court about the events that occurred uh well he also hot take does say that when you testified, you testified that you were her protector. And then the next breath said that you told her that you were going to destroy her. <laughs> yeah. um, but he said, when it came right down to it, when I gave you the opportunity to talk about these events, 
and their effect on you and what your sentence should be. You didn't even express remorse that Vashti is no longer on this earth. Right. Mm. Um, so the court sentences him to life in prison on the murder charge. Uh, apparently, the nature of the charge he was charged with makes him eligible for parole at 25 years. Okay. Uh, he sentences him to the maximum allowable sentence for the aggravated arson, which is 61 months. He sentences him. I'm not him good with math. What? what five little years? Over five years. Okay. Uh, he sentences him to seven months each on the aggravated child endangerment convictions. All of those are to be conserved, ought to be served consecutively. Okay. Uh, that is one after the other. Parole eligibility is 31 years and three months. He also requires him, if he is ever released on parole, to have to register as a violent offender. Hmm. And then he orders him to pay like $11,000 plus in restitution. Um, of course, Brett Seacat filed an appeal. It was decided in January of 2016. He raised his error of the trial court's admission of the several out-of-court statements made by Vashti to friends and co-workers. Mm-hmm. Um, then he raised three issues that had to do with the court's exclusion of evidence, a quote unquote evidence mm-hmm. relating to Vashi's depression, which Seacat says would have bolstered his, his, his defense statements yeah. that she committed suicide. And the last issue involved an answer that a witness gave on cross-examination that Seacat says was prejudicial to him. So the Supreme court of Kansas, um, talked about the statements that were made by Vashti. Um, and they found that they were properly admitted under hearsay exceptions related to necessity due to an unavailable declarant. Mm-hmm. Who made that declarant unavailable? Mm-hmm. Right. They apparently do not have that rule. Really? Because they didn't discuss that They didn't rule. discuss that he was responsible for her unavailability. No. Okay. Um, so, yeah, under under the, just mm. a, a teacher. Here it moment. is. Shift. Under the rules of evidence, um, there is an exception to hearsay. When you're declaring to the person who's making the statement is unavailable. Making the out-of-court statement. Making yeah. the out-of-court statement um, who is unavailable. And they are unavailable by virtue of the actions of the person you're using the statement against. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, if he murdered Vashti, then he's the one who caused her to be unavailable. To testify to, in to court. To testify in court. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So in West Virginia, the statements would come in under that theory. Uh, here they have a rule that's sort of a combination of our 804B5 and our residual exception. Mm-hmm. Um, for the folks out there, that just means in order for the court to introduce a statement that's made outside of court by someone who's not testifying, um, the judge has to find that the person is not available to testify, that the time the statement was made, um, it was uh, recent and in the ability of the person who heard it to clearly recollect what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it was made by the person who said it in good faith prior to the commencement of the action with no incentive to falsify or distort. So there right. has to be um, an indicia of reliability, reliability in the statement. Sure. Now, Brett Seacat said... He told y'all why her statements weren't reliable. He's just, she's just trying to build a better case for the divorce. Right. Um, so he wanted the court to find that her statements weren't made in good faith. Sure. Um, while they discussed this and they didn't find any merit to the argument, mm-hmm. they found that it fit under the exceptions. 
But I, they put in here some uh, of the threats that her friends and coworkers had reported that oh. I didn't find anywhere else but in the appellate okay. opinion. Um, a friend and coworker of Vashti, uh, Joy, testified that Vashti asked her a couple weeks before the fire, do you think Brett would burn the house down with me in it? Another coworker, uh, Scott, they give last names, but testified that Vashti reported to him Seacat had made various threats to her. Uh, first, he had threatened to kill himself if she filed for divorce. Uh, then he had threatened to take the children and disappear. He had threatened to kill her, burn the house down, and make it look like a suicide, which he could get away with because he was in law enforcement and knew that firefighters were, quote, idiots. <laughs> I knew you'd enjoy that one. Oh, I'm done. Oh, I'm so done. That's I knew, fantastic. I knew you'd enjoy that one. Oh, because they're dummies. He also testified that Seacat woke Washi up one night and told her he was having recurring dreams of killing her. Uh, Melissa testified about the threats that Seacat would kill Vashti and burn the house down in such a way that it would appear that Vashti had set the fire herself. Um, see, she also substantiated the testimony that Vashti reported Seacat recounting a dream in which he killed her. The social worker who counseled both Vashti and Brett Seacat testified about comments that Vashti made during therapy, including the dream and the threat that if Vashti ever cheated on him, Seacat would kill her. So he made lots of threats to kill her that, uh, she shared with other people, um, leading up to this happening. Um, <clears throat> interesting were the things that the court excluded that Brett thought supported his case that this was a suicide. Mm -hmm. So three things that the court excluded were prior Vashi's prior suicidal ideation and or suicide attempts. Seacat proffered that there had been an incident that had occurred in 2007 or 2008. The court found uh, a couple things. Number one, it was too remote in time to be relevant to her state of mind in 2011. But also the thing that really bothered the court was that there was no further independent verification or objective mm -hmm. proof that, of, that it happened. Right. Of yeah. the prior attempts or ideations. That was yeah. my thought. It was pretty self-serving. Sure. So the attorney on the Dateline episode, they, they interviewed one of his attorneys. This dude actually said the words, hospitals don't keep records anymore. <laughs> I was like, what is he talking about? Bro. Yeah, it's like, man, if she if she did try to kill herself about? and, you know, presumably was taken to the hospital for some sort of evaluation, whatever treatment, there might be a record that you could have gotten and furnished. As, nah. at, but they don't keep those. Don't keep what those. are you talking about? This, Silly. This man said the words. And I got quotes on him. Hospitals don't keep records anymore. This dude said like two things that were so outrageous. The dude who hosted Dateline he was like, what? Was just staring at him with this look on his face. Like he wasn't in the episode for very long, but he made two statements. One of which was hospitals don't keep records anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the other of which was. The state didn't even say what they what he destroyed in them hard drives or them phones. They didn't say what he destroyed. Gosh. Cool. How how would they know what he de he destroyed? He destroyed it, it, right? We don't know if it was relevant or not, but it was sure weird. It happened that day while he's sneaking around with an overhead projector, tracing her journal. He's doing weird things. Um. So the attorney was hilarious on Dateline. If anyone <laughs> catches that. Mm. Um. 
The court did, however, still allow Brett Seacat to testify regarding his perception of Vashti's state of mind around the time of her death. Okay. So he was able to talk about that TV show that they watched right. where they talked about the shooting in the head, mm-hmm. uh, about her depression, things, conversations they'd had. Um, he was allowed to talk about all of that. Just not the prior suicide attempt he alleged that there was no independent proof of. And the court said it was removed in time. From, Remote in time. Yeah. Correct. They had a long discussion about that in the appeal. Um, court also excluded a proffer by uh, Brett Seacat that Vashi may have been taking a hormone called HCG to assist in her uh, weight loss for a while. Um, according to the physician's desk reference, a possible side effect of taking that hormone is depression. Seacat proffered that Vashti had a prescription for the hormone during the year before her death, but he was unable to demonstrate what the frequency or dosage was or how close in time to her death her last use was. Because doctors don't keep records. The court ruled pretrial that the testimony relevant to the hormone or its possible depressive effects could be admitted subject to the conditions that the, the defense lay the appropriate factual foundations and provide relevant medical testimony. And they did not. Yeah, that sounds like the appropriate ruling. Yeah. Um, Seems reasonable. Court <clears throat> also excluded uh, a vague proffer that Brett Seacat had made that Vashi had at some point in the past used marijuana. <gasps> uh, he, Seacat, wanted to uh, introduce that to advocate that she was self-medicating for mm. her depression. Yes. Uh, yes. But again... No proof of that independently. And also, there was an autopsy. There was a toxicology. I was, right. I've been what wondering, what you know, THC nothing, do. nothing. Mm-hmm. Did not test positive for marijuana in the autopsy. No substances. Um, so the last issue that uh, was on appeal was, um, had to do with a witness that was being cross-examined. Um, Brett's attorney was trying to get a prosecution witness to say basically that Foshti had never said Brett had physically assaulted her. So she wasn't necessarily concerned about her physical safety. Right. Um, and he kept asking her weird questions and it was sort of the same question over and over. And she finally said, she made some reference like, no, she wasn't concerned necessarily physically just because she doesn't, his narcissism sometimes makes him unpredictable or something like that. She makes yeah. reference to, to his, his narcissism. Yeah. Um, it was a brief reference. It was elicited by his counsel, mm-hmm. right. although it was a prosecution witness. So there was no error found in that. And it's um, true. There was no right. prejudice found to How Mr. Seacat. Um, there was a concurring opinion in the appeal that indicated that it would have allowed testimony about any prior suicidal ideation or attempts to come in, but ultimately agreed it wouldn't have mattered either way because right. the evidence of his guilt was overwhelming and he would have been convicted with or without that. Hmm. Um, he also filed a habeas case. Um, the habeas is a, it's a full blown mess. There were issues with the timeliness of the filings. There are issues with him raising claims he could have raised on direct appeal, but didn't. The allegations he does make, um, even the ones related to ineffective assistance of his trial counsel, he doesn't offer any argument or analysis in support of them. It was dismissed pretty quickly, and the appeal of that denial of the habeas was affirmed by the Court of Appeals of Kansas in February of 2022. Hey. So hey. just this year. I thought. Um, then... Um, 
the only thing I did want to say is it was mentioned a little bit through the, um, the sources I had looked at, but after all this, there was a pretty bad custody battle with regard to the custody of the children. Oh, between the two groups of families or even more than that. There's, um, the two families. And then within Vashi's family, there was a division as well. Um, so there was a lot of litigation with regard to the custody of the children. One of the documentaries indicated that eventually the children um, were placed with um, one of Brett's relatives in their home. Um, there was an indication that Vashti's wishes um, that, of course, she had in place were a relative of Brett's were to care for the children if anything ever happened to her and Brett. Um her family, of course, with how her death came about, sure, fought against that. Um, oh, that stuff's bitter and awful and terrible. It is bitter and awful and ter- awful and terrible. And just like um, most of these things that happen when there are children involved, the children are really the ones that lose out because not sure, only man, is their kids. mom dead, their dad's in prison, mm-hmm. and they have to live with the knowledge that you know. And now dead. all these grownups are arguing about them, and right. and there's yeah, no it's all terrible. Yeah. It's awful. I don't know. I mean, I, I I guess I get the custody thing, but like if your daughter wanted this to happen. Right. If, if you could establish that pretty clearly, like if she yeah, had a will or something know, like, said in the event of da da da, I want him to go to Tyrone, then such and such. I, I you know, I, I get it might be a bitter pill to swallow, but I, I think you'd try to honor the dead yeah. child's wishes, you know. I get that. Of course, you know, could wishes. she have predicted that it was, that this would have happened or. Sure. Now, uh, Cheryl. Um, you've mentioned a couple things in documentaries and stuff. What were your sources for this oh, yeah. jam? So there's an episode of accident, suicide or murder mm-hmm. um, on oxygen that I love that. <laughs> you show. love, yeah. you do love um, jam. And it has a lot of interesting um, cases in it where they don't initially know whether it's an accident, suicide or murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to do the investigation to figure it out. And that's where a lot of these cases that have, um, really interesting facts that could maybe go either way. Um, I, I found, um, there's also a Dateline episode gotcha. on the case. Um, there were, I said, YouTube videos that actually had part of the proceedings on it. Um, I know that in watching the accident, suicide or murder and the Dateline episodes, there were cameras in the courtroom during the trial itself as well. So I saw clips from the trial mm-hmm. that they showed, but I wasn't able to find any whole versions yeah, right. of the trial on the internet to watch myself. Um, Brett, incidentally, when he testified, didn't want any video of him taken, but allowed audio. So during okay. his testimony, you see the attorneys okay, queen. asking questions, but you don't see Brett answering them. You hear him, but you don't see him. Interesting. I thought that was interesting attracts as they say yeah so um there were those there were some um news articles from back then that still existed and um well obviously the appeal stuff obviously the appeal stuff i got the um judicial record from the appeals and the habeas case um but yeah i the the dateline documentary also talked to members of Brett's family, whereas the other sources did not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was, to be honest, his brother was sort of doing the same thing that uh, his attorneys were in that you can't possibly have been this stupid. <laughs> like I, I, 
I know that you didn't mention anything about Vashti being suicidal or anything, and that was your business. But, you know, it, his interview was like, yeah, I, I know Brett probably wishes he had talked to us about those things <laughs> now in retrospect. Um, and then also they're talking about him torching the hard drives. And he's like, yeah, I mean, he's educated law enforcement. He's concerned about identity. He's very big on that. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, basically he says, if he was going to murder her, why would he make it so easy on people to prove that he had done it. It's just impossible that he was this stupid. That's basically, he doesn't say that, but that's, a but that's in a nutshell what he says. Like he didn't cover up the fact that he got this projector. He didn't hide the fact that he torched these hard drives. Like who, if you're going to do these things for nefarious purposes, would do them so openly. A stone narcissist like yeah. your brother, like your brother. Um, But it, it, again, it's just, and it shouldn't it shouldn't be hard to because we see it all the time. Mm. People who, again, don't believe their their loved one would do terrible things bad thing. when everyone yeah. is capable of doing terrible things. No doubt. Well, and this is another case involving terrible things that are um, domestic related. And mm -hmm. I know we've talked about that a couple of times. And uh, sometimes it's escalation of violence. Um, and other times, you know, there's means other than violence that uh, folks use in those situations. Uh, and this has sounded like a lot of isolation, uh, attempted isolation, cruelty, things like that. Um, so, you know, things to keep an eye out for because this stuff, this stuff can happen. Right. You know, just it gets, because he ain't hitting you doesn't mean, doesn't mean he ain't going to kill you and yeah. doesn't mean he's not abusive. Yeah. And um, so, you know, if you're in any kind of situation like that, talk to somebody. Well, you know, Cheryl, as always. Yes, very good job. Very good job. Very thorough. Interesting case. Uh, sad. Uh, sad case, but sounds like they got the right result. And, um, you know, it, again, good lesson. Uh, don't talk to the police if you've committed a crime. <laughs> and uh, if you're police listening, hopefully we have police listening. Talk um, to suspects. Talk to suspects because nothing. They're not smart. Right. Worst thing that can happen is they say no, you know, right. and they don't want to talk to you. Cool. But you tried. Um, also, is they sit down and regale you with how they're guilty. Yes. Like this guy. Like this guy. He didn't even do it on purpose, but boy, oh boy, it was there. And uh, also, maybe just to clarify, because I did cackle very loudly when oh, you the made the firefighter joke. joke. Uh, I love firefighters and appreciate <laughs> firefighters. And I, these folks sitting here at the table, just know I very much enjoy the playful banter between police officers and uh, firefighters. It's a fun little rivalry in the... Uh, first responder world that is uh, just damn entertaining for me. So uh, hence, hence my chuckle. So with that, um, uh, be nice to your, to your spouse and your loved one and don't, don't be abusive. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be abusive. Don't be murdery. Don't be murdery at all. Like even in the slightest bit murdery, please don't do that. And um, until next time, y'all stay out of trouble. We're definitely cutting that out. <laughs> <laughs> we do not need people suicide hotline. Uh, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, I, I am going to, however, look up, I think, the uh, 48 Hours episode because I really want to see this, this journalist just be like, huh? He just, does. Just He's baffled. Just, yeah. So, huh? What's that with this confused look? It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs>
I'm not a lawyer, but that sounds really dumb. When he said hospitals don't even keep records, <laughs> but then when he came back with the, you know, they didn't know. even say what he was destroying. And he was like, what are you destroying? But it's destroyed. <laughs> How could <laughs> he just had that look on his face. Mm-hmm. But he destroyed it, though. You're not even going to say that looks for you? He did this the day before this happened. Nah, not at all. Not no at all. No concession at all that looked weird. <laughs>